preachers are weary, the singers are tired, the church as we know it is losing its fire. Some are discouraged from bearing the load, but we must determine to keep pressing on, cause if just one more soul were to walk down the aisle, it would be worth every struggle, it would be worth every mile, a lifetime of labor is still worth it all, if it rescues just one more soul. Preachers keep preaching and singers go sing. Laban keeps sharing that Jesus is King. The angels have gathered, they're surrounding the throne, and they'll start rejoicing for just one more soul. Cause it just one more soul. Were to walk down the aisle, it would be worth every struggle, it would be worth every mile. A lifetime of labor is still worth it all if it rescues just one more soul. Cause if just one more soul were to walk down the aisle it would be worth every struggle it would be worth every mile a lifetime of labor is still worth it all if it rescues just one more soul a lifetime of labor is still Just one more soul. Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn over to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to begin in a, and, and discuss and deal with an account in the Bible that is, well, familiar to say the least. Probably one of the most familiar passages in all the Bible, one that every Sunday school child has learned from the time they were just simply three or four years of age, maybe even sooner. It's one of those accounts that is intriguing and it's interesting, it's inspiring, so many things. I remember years ago in our Sunday schools, we uh, built a Goliath and uh, it was made out of like a... Uh, basically uh, plywood, if you will, pretty much. Boy, I tell you what, it got pretty heavy. I mean, you start talking about a 10-foot giant, and you start trying to figure out how broad his shoulders were. Uh, I mean, I laid down, and they cut it out. But uh, anyway, the, the, the fact is, is that, I mean, he was huge. I mean, he's so big. And then we took all the Sunday school kids, and we took them on over, and we had them stand beside Goliath and take a picture with all of them. Man, he was massive. 
He was huge. And boy, ever since, I mean, I can't help but get that image out of my mind because there's times in our, our mind it's hard to even imagine, it's hard to fathom how big of a giant Goliath was. But this is one of those very familiar and very popular accounts in the Word of God. And by the way, may I say this, it really happened. I mean, there was a giant, and uh, he was big, and David did indeed fight him. Look, if you would, in verse 44, we'll begin there. We're going to read through verse 50, and then I'm going to uh, take some time just to kind of look over the portion of Scripture and consider just a couple thoughts today. A little bit different, probably, than what we're used to hearing from this passage, but I trust it'll be a help and a blessing to each and every one of us. Now, let's begin in chapter 17, 1 Samuel 17, beginning in verse 44. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh into the fowls of the air, to the beast of the field. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword, and with a spear, and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee. And I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hastened and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead, that the stone sunk into his forehead, and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone, and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. I'm going to stop there because I think that's enough for us to get started, but this account is just one of the most Intriguing, as I said, and interesting passages in the Bible. It's so inspiring to us through the years. And we can't help but think about little David, that David that would watch his father's sheep on the backside of a desert, finding himself confronted with a giant that stood almost 10 feet tall. And here we find him defeating that giant. Those two armies had assembled and there between the, the valley of Edom, uh, they, they, one on one side, the other on the other side. David shows up, of course, in obedience to his father, carrying some food for his brothers and some of the other men, probably some of his buddies, some of his, I should say, his brother's buddies. And when he arrives, he has, is there when that giant Goliath steps out onto the battlefield and begins to blaspheme the God of Israel and call out for a man to come fight him. We know that the, the Israelites at that point are afraid and they're scared and they hide behind rocks and they flee from this giant of a man. David listens to the blaspheme. David listens to him calling out all the soldiers and he thinks to himself, is there not a man here? Is there not someone to go fight the giant? Is there not somebody who will stand up to this blasphemous giant? He begins to ask some questions, and before it's over with, his brother even says to him, Eliab, he says, listen, he says, you're so prideful, you're so arrogant. Why'd you come down here? You just wanted to see the battle. And David says, man, what's the problem, man? Is there not a cause? 
before it's over with, David is standing before Saul. And Saul's trying to fit him in his armor. Now you got to remember, Saul, if you, you recall, he was a head taller than all the other men. Remember when he stood before Samuel and then ultimately the people, Samuel pointed him out and said, hey, see him? You can tell the difference right there. All you have to do is look across the heads of the men and you see him a whole head taller. This is the man that's going to be the king of Israel. And may I say that David now is trying to be suited in this man's armor. May I say that doesn't work too well. David gets in the armor and he starts to try to move and he realizes it's kind of hard to move. He looks like literally, you know, a robot, I'm sure. You have to train and you have to prepare to wear armor. You don't just get in armor and then function normally. And David says, this isn't going to work for me. And boy, he sheds that armor. And we find David walking down now to a stream. And there at that stream, he reaches down and he picks up five smooth stones. He puts them in a bag and he makes his way toward Goliath. And Goliath makes his way toward David. And pretty soon David's on a run. And we read already that David confronts the giant and he flings that stone. He slings it, the Bible says. Must have been from the south or something. And that, that, old, that, old, that old rock hit him square in the forehead. Interestingly enough, he doesn't fall backwards, he falls forward. He takes it in the head. I don't know if I'd have taken that thing in the noggin. I think I'd have kind of went, Whoa! Not Goliath. He's like, timber. And that's basically, in a nutshell, what we read. And what we did not read. So, what is it that I want to share today? Well, let's just go ahead and start into it, and we'll see where it goes from there, all right? Father, we come to you. We need you. I pray for your spirit to work and move in my life and the lives of each and every person represented. Lord, I believe there's a tremendous spiritual truth in this, more than one, but Lord, may we take home something today that will make a difference in our Christian life. And if there be any that are without the Lord Jesus, they'd recognize the need to receive and accept him into their life. Please fill me now and use me, I pray in Christ's name, amen. First of all, we're all going to face giants. That's one thing we understand. And we know that David, being a young, a young man, he had to face a giant. And we'd find that there were others in the Bible who faced some giants. But the fact is, is that you and I will also face giants. Although we may not face literal 10-foot giants, although we may not have to stand before them with, with, with spear or with sword or a shield, we, we're going to have to fight some giants. We're going to have to face some giants in our life. There is no way to escape the reality of facing giants. And so you're going to face some of those in your life. You're going to have some giants in your life. You're going to have some giants in your relationships. You're going to have some giants that you have to face and fight in your marriage. You're going to have some giants that you have to deal with in your family. Some giants in your, at your job. Some giants even in your finances. There's giants all around us and in every situation, in every circumstance. It doesn't matter how Christian you are. It doesn't matter how holy You'd like to believe yourself to be. It doesn't matter how much you read your Bible and pray. The fact is there's going to be some giants that you have to face in your life. And may I say there are some that are much bigger, much stronger, and have a much more more bearing on your life than others. But either way, you better get victory over the giants 
or they'll get victory over you. So what's the solution for giants? Well, I think in the passage we found out what the solution for a giant is. That day, a stone, or a rock, if you will, planted itself squarely in the forehead of a giant. And I want you to know it was in that moment there was victory. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, we've already read it, verse 49. It says, And David put his hand in his bag, and he took thence a stone, and he slang it, and smote the Philistine in his forehead. And the Bible tells us that, that that stone sunk into his forehead, and he fell upon his face to the earth. I want you to know that that day there was a great victory over a giant. And I can tell you this, that it wouldn't have happened without a stone. It wouldn't have happened without the rock. See, the solution for giants is a stone or a rock, if you will. As we look in the Word of God, we're going to see that Goliath is a type of antichrist or a type of Satan, if you will, who is going to attack the bless. I mean, he's going to attack and he's going to blaspheme God during the tribulation period and he's going to go after God's people just like he did back then. But I'm going to tell you something. We're going to see that even in the prophecy of Daniel, it was described how that's going to all turn out. Take your Bible and look over Daniel chapter 2, verse 32. I'm telling you the solution for giants is a rock, a stone. That's the solution. And we see it all the way prophesied in Daniel chapter 2. Notice what the Bible says there in verse 32 and 33. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, is having, he's, he's having a vision now. He sees something. Let's see what he saw. The Bible tells us that this image's head, verse 32, Daniel 2, 32, this image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thigh of brass, his legs of iron and his feet part iron and part of clay. He sees this huge figure in his vision. And it's divided up, as you see, according to the word of God. The fact is, is that it represents some nations that will rule and reign after Israel has been Gone, or should I say, after Israel's gone into captivity. We're going to see that, that that particular head of fine gold will represent the Babylonians, that his breastplate and his arms of silver, the Medo-Persians, his belly and his thighs of brass, the Greeks, and ultimately the legs and his feet, part iron and part of clay, represent the Roman government. And the fact is today is that, is that in this particular account, as we read the next verse now, we see what the solution is to, to Satan and the nations of this world that are going to rule and reign, that are going to have dominion in this time. Watch what happens in verse 34. It says, thou sawest, thou sawest that, thou sawest that big image, thou sawest it uh, uh, looming large in your vision and in your eyes, watch, till a stone was cut without out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay and break them in pieces. We're going to see that, again, that someone, something is going to make a difference and going to bring down a giant. And guess what it is again? A stone. These world powers who are going to be, who are going to be ruled by none other than Satan himself are destroyed by a stone. From that stone rises a kingdom ultimately, and that kingdom is none other than the millennial kingdom in which Jesus Christ will rule and reign on the throne of David. The stone or the rock is none other than Jesus Christ himself. That's what we find. 
In Matthew chapter 21, verse 42, let me read it. It says, Jesus saith unto them, Did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Referring to Jesus Christ. Not only that, in 1 Corinthians 3.11, the Bible tells us, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 10.4, he goes on to say, And did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Once again, you and I are going to face some giants in our lives. We're going to face giants in our relationships, giants in our marriages, giants in our homes and our families, giants at our job, giants in our finances, giants all over the place. But may I say the solution to a giant is a stone or rock. It's always the same. And that solution is none other than Jesus Christ. Look, if you would, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 22 through 27. Matthew chapter 7, verses 22 through 27. There we read, Many will say to me in that day, that day being the day of the Lord, by the way. I mean, it's not now. It's not in our time period now. It's still future. It's the day of the Lord. It says we come to a close of the tribulation period on into the millennial day, which is the day is as a thousand years of the Lord. That day, notice he says that that day, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. What? after everything they've done in the name of the Lord, after every good deed, every good work they've done, he can stand before them now with a clear conscience and say, I never knew you? Yes, indeed, and he will. Because it's not what you do that finds favor with God. It's what he already did on Calvary for you. But notice again, he goes on to say, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a a rock. I like the rock, don't you? And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the wind blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not. Why didn't it fall? The Bible says, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened to do a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Well, that is a picture of your life without Jesus Christ if you don't have him in your life. That's a picture of my life without Jesus Christ. Not just a savior, but ruling and reigning in my life. That's a picture of a home being built 
without being built upon the solid foundation, the rock, Jesus Christ. That's a picture of any business. That's a picture of any world leader. That's a picture of any nation that's built not on the solid foundation, the rock, Jesus Christ. My friend, one way or the other, we're going to either stand or we're going to fall. And the only real difference, the only difference is what your foundation is. And if it is the rock, Jesus Christ, you will still be standing after the winds and the rain and the waves. But if not, you're going to fall and you're going to fall big. That's what the Bible tells us. Great was the fall of it. The rock, the Lord Jesus Christ, is always the key to victory over giants in our life and ministry. It is Him and Him alone that provides us with the provision, the protection, and the stability that we need in life. If you ever want to experience victory over giants in your life, you won't do that without Him. Someone says, well, I know people that are lost and have great victories. Their business is booming. Their family's doing well. It ain't over yet. It ain't over. And by the way, that over there in Matthew chapter 7, not only does it picture a life without Christ, it pictures you dying without Him and standing before God at the judgment. That's what it's really showing us. Because you've either built your life upon the rock, Jesus Christ, when you stand before him. And boy, when the the rain of judgment falls, remember what rained down on Sodom and Gomorrah? Guess what? That's going to rain down on every single person. And if you're not built on a solid foundation, my friend, you're going to fall. The only foundation which is secure and safe enough that will carry you through that kind is Jesus Christ. Now, don't misunderstand me. You don't go through the tribulation. You're not going to have to go through judgment in that sense, but you will be judged by God. His eyes are a flame of fire. But there's another interesting thought, and there's something that I, this is what really kind of, really moved me to share these things today is this particular thought. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 40. 1 Samuel 17, 40. This is just one of those thoughts that came to my mind, and there's one other one we'll talk about in a moment. But notice what it says here in verse 40. It says, And he took his staff in his hand, and he chose him five smooth stones out of the brook. It's interesting to me that David carried five stones. Stones. Five. He picked up five rocks. Now, you know, some have said, well, that's because Goliath had some brothers. That may be the case. Matter of fact, we find some of those brothers going down in battle later on. It's funny how when someone kills a giant, other people get a little bit more emboldened to go kill giants. That's how it works. Success breeds success. Courage breeds courage. By the way, it works the other way, too. Cowardice breeds cowardice. Now, we see here, he picked up five smooth stones. Now, here's what I want to say. He had five stones, but it only took what? One. It only took one. I want you to understand that the Bible says that Satan is the god of this world, little g-god. Can I tell you there are a lot of little g-gods running around the world? You know, there's going to be giants in every one of our lives. Let me tell you this. You can pick a lot of little gods. You can try to build your life on a lot of little stones. You can go ahead and do that, but I promise you there's only one stone needed to stand strong against giants. It truly brings victory. 
David didn't need two. He only needed one. And my friend, you better be careful that you don't start depending on the gods of this world to take down the giants in your life. You better depend on Jesus Christ and only him. So, the missing element. I've already noted that we're going to face giants and the solution for giants. But what's the missing element? Well, I feel there's a missing element. And again, this was one of the major areas that, it kind, of, that kind of encouraged me to share on this topic. Notice while we're there, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 50. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him, but there was no sword in the hand of David. Now, I want you to notice something. In our passage, we note that a stone or a rock was the reason the giant came tumbling down. But as a famous radio personality once said, now for the rest of the story. Remember Paul Harvey? Now for the rest of the story. See, a rock is a good thing to have. I mean, there isn't a boy in town that doesn't like to try and skip rocks across water. Great to have a rock. Great to have a stone in your hand when you're by water. It's wonderful. Everybody, everybody likes to toss a stone into the lake and watch the ripple effect. Great to have a stone. If you have a fox or you have some critter trying to get at your chickens through the chicken coop, guess what? It's nice to have a stone. You throw that stone in there and you chase them away. It's wonderful. But if you have a giant you're trying to kill, Kill that giant? My guess is that a stone alone is not going to get the job done. Can you imagine if David would have said, by the way, let me pull one of them stones out of my bag. Hey, big giant. You say, that looked like a girl throwing. That's because I, I wanted to do that. Now let me show you how a man does it. I just hurt my back. But anyway, if he'd have hauled off and flung, I mean, if he'd have slung that stone as hard as he could, can you imagine? I wonder, I mean, I'm watching some of the World Series, right? Man, I'm telling you, some of those pitchers are throwing, you know, 95, 97, even some 98. And I'm watching the batter up there. They're only 60 feet away, and that ball comes at him, and he's like, whoa, and they fly out of the way to keep from getting hit by the ball. Now, let me tell you something. i got to believe that as good as David was with rocks, I don't think he could throw as hard as a major league pitcher. He, first of all, wasn't as big as the major league pitchers. I'm sure that he wasn't as athletic in the sense that he hadn't worked out specifically to throw a baseball or a, 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 a rock 100 miles an hour. But if, let me say this, if a baseball player can get out of the way of a rock or a baseball, going 97, 98 miles an hour from 60 feet away, i got to believe that a man of war that's been trained his whole life to avoid being killed could have dodged that rock. Could have got out of the way. Or even if he got hit with it. He's 10 foot tall. Even if it hit him in the noggin, even if it hit him in the head, how big could that stone have been? I mean, David's so, I mean, if it was too big, it would take him forever to get to him. And he just went, <laughs> Knocked it off with a shield, stepped aside and watched it fly by. I mean, are you kidding me? Great to have a stone. But let me tell you something. 
A stone alone was not going to get the job done that day. The rock wasn't enough. He said, he said, the rock's Jesus Christ. That's what I just said. The passage said, notice what it said in verse 50. David prevailed over the Philistine with a what? Sling and with a stone. It didn't just say a stone. Why a sling? What is the significance of the sling? If Jesus is a rock and if we're going to defeat giants, we need the rock, Jesus Christ. What in the world could the sling represent? I got thinking about that. And I thought that stone would never have impacted the giant as needed without the sling. The sling catapulted that rock, catapulted that stone with such velocity and so much power that it just embedded itself into the head of Goliath. It made a true impact. Prior to our Lord's ascension, he met with the disciples to give them some final instructions. Look, if you would, over the book of Luke, chapter 24, verse 49. Luke, chapter 24, verse 49. The Bible says over there in the book of Luke, chapter 24, reading in verse 49, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Wait a second. Acts 1.8. But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. These men who had spent their lives being prepared for ministry being prepared for the last three years minimum, maybe three and a half years. They've traveled with the Lord. They slept, they ate, they drank. They, they spent their lives being around the master, looking and watching and ministering to meet the needs of people. They'd been trained personally by Jesus Christ himself. They're now being told to wait. He is now going to go off the scene. And as he's leaving, he's saying, now don't just run out there and try to give me out to people. Don't just run out there and tell them about the resurrected Christ just yet. Don't go out there and tell them how to, and try to meet their every need just yet. There's still something missing. There's a delivery system that I want you to have. There's a means by which I can be impacting the world. And it's the Holy Ghost. So you wait till you are endued with power from on high. Because I will not have the effect on the lives of mankind. I will not make the difference in the lives of others. I will not be able to bring down the Goliaths and the giants without the personal power of the Holy Ghost in your life. He's going to drive me home in the hearts and minds of the lost. He's going to make it possible for you to have victory over your sin and over temptation and over the trials of your life. The Holy Spirit of God is essential, absolutely necessary, he says. It'd be like you having a rock and trying to take down the giant without a sling. May I say, it seems to me that today in Christianity and in our own personal lives, we're trying to get a lot of work done without the Holy Ghost. I mean, we got the answer, it's Jesus Christ, but we don't have the delivery system. The giants are still standing. 
Why? Because we're trying to take them down with just Jesus and not the way he commanded them to do it. Wait and tarry ye here till you're endued with power. And we're going out trying to witness. And we're going out trying to impact our families and the lives of our families without the Holy Ghost having presence and power in our life. It's the missing element. It's interesting to me. You say, I don't, I don't agree with that. Well, it's interesting that Jesus was empowered for ministry by the Spirit. The Bible tells us in Luke 4.14, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. He was out there in the wilderness being tempted and tested by Satan. He returns, the Bible tells us, not in his own power, but in the power of the Spirit of God. The Bible tells us that Paul was empowered for ministry by the Spirit in Romans 15, 19, through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about into Iconium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Not only that, but you and I are admonished and we are encouraged and we are commanded to, to take on the Spirit. He says in Luke eleven thirteen, 13, if ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? We're attempting to live the Christian life without the power of the Spirit of God. For the giants will not be defeated just because we're saved. Just because you have Christ living in you. Just because you received and accepted the Lord into your life. My friend, that's not enough to get the job done. That's not enough to convince your children that God is worth living for. That's not enough to convince your co-workers that Jesus Christ is real and seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession on your behalf. That's just not enough to change this world. Jesus in you is not enough. And it's not enough for me to have him in me. Unless I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to empower me and endue me from on high. Because it'll be the Holy Spirit that drives home the Christ that I speak about. The Christ that I try to live out. It's the Holy Ghost that we need. His presence and His power to take Christ and apply Him to the lives and to the, the, the lessons of life that are needed. We have downplayed the, the person of the Holy Ghost. We forgot who He is. He's God. And we forgot how important His role is in our ministries, and in our lives. And now we can stand before a world and, and we have, we do, let's be honest, we have the methods and we have the machinery to build and to grow, to build edifices and to, to put carpet on the floors and nice comfortable chairs and we can have our sound systems and our, our screens and all the things we have and we say to ourselves, how is it that people may come to church but their lives aren't changed? Could it be that Christ is alive? Yes. But he's not being delivered properly. Because we are so void of power, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. I don't know about you, but I'm about fed up to hear, hearing stupid things like, well, you know, young people just go off today. They just do what they do. We lose them to the world about the time they're 17, 18, and then hopefully they come back. They don't have to go out into the world. They don't have to throw away their, their moral standards. They don't have to get rid of their Christian faith. That's not how God intended it to be. My friend, I tell you this, that it must not be real enough in the lives of people. And they must not be seeing him in us the way they ought to. There's got to be something dynamite. There's got to be something different in our lives, something that compels a person to say, I want that in my life. 
Let's quit, let's, let's quit lying and quit, uh, quit defending our positions. We're not seeing the fruit that even we want. And yet we'll say we are, we're living for Jesus. Well, listen, I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm not saying I'm not saved. But I don't know about you, but I get a little fed up not seeing people walk out and get saved like they ought to. I'm getting a little bit tired of, of seeing a world continue to go the wrong direction and there's no Holy Spirit power pulling someone back. I'm a little, I'm even more disturbed by the fact that we see Christian young people that are stepping out into the world and forsaking their, their upbringing. That bothers me. What's wrong with us? Why do we keep blaming the world? The world has always been with us. Satan has always been fighting against the believer. Satan has always warred against truth. And there's always been temptations. There's always been problems. There's always been things to draw our young people away. But my friend, more than anything, they need to see not just a a believer. They need to not see a Christian that has Christ, but they need to see a Christian that is operating and functioning in the power of the Holy Ghost. Turn, if you would, to Galatians chapter 5, please. Verse 22. As you're turning there, let me read just a couple of scriptures. In Ephesians 5.18, the Bible says, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Come on. we got to quit playing games. If I put a poll out there, and I said, Are you filled with the Spirit right now? Are you filled with the Spirit of God? What would your answer be? Better yet, what would your wife or husband's answer be? I just got done screaming and yelling at my kids and going off on my husband. I'm filled with the Spirit. I just got done, uh, uh, you know, cheating on my taxes. I'm filled with the Spirit. I just got done running, run, running red lights or going over the speed limit and not caring that I was going over the speed limit and just disobeying the authority that God put over us. I'm in the Spirit. You say, those aren't big deals. They're huge deals. The bottom line is, we keep convincing ourselves that we don't have to live up to the Word of God and still be right with God. And we wonder why we have no power with God and for God. Anybody can feel like they're holy. Anybody can feel like they're saved. Anybody can feel like they're going to heaven. Anybody can feel like they're spiritual. But as we used to say, the proof's in the pudding, isn't it? I know we're in this non-judgmental society where no one's allowed to say you're wrong. But last time I checked as believers, didn't we give God authority in his word to tell us we're wrong? Whether or not we did, we're going to be judged by it. Notice in Galatians 5.22, I'm convinced that if the Holy Spirit of God would control our lives the way he intends to do so, it would set off a domino effect. It would blow up. Our lives would be so different, so unusual, so unique that the world couldn't help but see it. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit is something that comes as a result of something else. For instance, there's a tree, the fruit of that tree. That fruit's not the tree. It's a byproduct of the tree. The Bible says that we are the vine. He is the branches. Jesus Christ is the one who lays the foundation and we stand sturdy upon it, but we're to be filled with the Spirit of God and exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit then. Notice what that fruit is. Love, joy, 
peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law, he says. Isn't it funny that people that do not demonstrate love in their life, that have hatred or bitterness toward others, will say things like, I'm spiritual. But they don't even demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. How's that possible? Because in 1 John, the Bible tells us, if we deceive, he says, he says that if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You can deceive yourself into believing that whatever you're thinking or doing is right, even if it's not. Listen, the evidence of a spirit-filled believer is found in the fruit of the spirit. If we're not demonstrating these characteristics and qualities consistently, then we are not filled with the spirit. If we demonstrate the love of Christ consistently, if we exhibit the joy of the Lord faithfully, if we promote the peace of God in the battlefield of life, if we were long-suffering to those that are struggling, if we extended gentleness to those around us, if we spread goodness to all mankind, if we expressed faith that moves mountains, if we responded in meekness to the tyrants of sin, if we observed tolerance, or should I say temperance in all matters, if we do that, Don't tell me that we wouldn't have power to see the giants fall. I got to believe we'd strike a death blow to Satan and to sin. And it would change both our lives and it would change the world around us. Again, our man-made methods and machinery will not suffice in producing this fruit right here. We keep trying to replicate it. We keep trying to somehow imitate it. But it's not good enough. It's the difference between that child who goes and cleans their room and does it only because that's what they're expected to do. Fine. Or the child that says, okay, Ma, I got this. We're trying to live the Christian life like this. I got to go to church. I got to read my Bible. I got to pray. Man, I got to go to that activity. I got to go to that service. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to go. So when I got to And we wonder, we wonder why our children are going off the deep end when they hit 16, 17, and 18. We wonder why people at work aren't catching a glimpse of our Christianity. We're wondering why at school we have no, no, no testimony among our friends. Oh, we got Christ. We got the rock. What about the delivery system? What about the power of the Holy Ghost in your life that takes Jesus Christ and just literally catapults him into the hearts and minds of the lost And drives his truths and his principles, his love, into the hearts and lives of those loved ones and friends that we interact with repeatedly and consistently. So what's the outcome? Well, in 1 Samuel 17, verse 46, let's turn over there if you're not there already. What was the outcome? 
In 1 Samuel 17, 46, the Bible says, This day, David said, will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. You know what the outcome of a spirit-filled Christian life is, really? A life that possesses the stone, the rock, Jesus Christ, but also has the delivery system to bring him face-to-face with life, problems, people, circumstances, giants, and even the lost. What's the outcome of this great victory? Bringing down the giants? It proved there's a God that can. It proved that there's a God that can. There wasn't one man that we know of, there's not one man recorded in this passage that believed that David would be victorious. No one thought the giant could fall. It wasn't really even a matter of fact of David's ability. Can David defeat the Goliath? No, it was that no one's going to defeat Goliath. No one's going to bring down the giant. But when David was used of God to do so, it proved that there is a God that can. Not only that, it promoted the God of the victory that all the earth may know. And finally, it provided greater opportunity for service. Boy, when that giant came tumbling down, I want you to know that David would be used in even greater ways in the future. But because he was obedient... Because he took that sling and he took that stone and he went out and he fought Goliath and had victory in his life, God was able then to use him for greater things. You feel like you're sitting on a shelf? You're not being used like you'd like to be? Maybe it's time you kill a few giants. It's time you pick up the sling and a stone. Don't just tell people you got Christ. Make sure you got the delivery system and prove it by exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit every day in your life. Not just when it's convenient, not just when it's, it's, it's a good time, not just when everything's going your way. I'm talking about when tragedy strikes. I'm talking about when people talk bad about you. I'm talking about when you feel you've been slighted or you've been hurt or somebody's betrayed you. That's when we need to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. That's when it impacts lives the way God intended. There may not be any more 10-foot giants roaming the earth any longer. At least not at this point. There will be later on. Some things like that will start to happen again, but after we're gone. I don't believe we're going through the tribulation either, by the way. We're going to be taken out of here before that. Just like Enoch was taken out before the flood, we're gone. We're translated too. There may not be those 10-foot giants running around blaspheming our God Physically, but I promise you this, there are still giants that you're going to face every day. You want victory over the giants? It's not enough to just be saved today. It's not enough to just have a stone or a rock. You need a sling. You need the Holy Ghost of God 
empowering you. Just like those early Christians needed the Spirit of God before they took off and began to witness in Jerusalem and around the world, you need Him before you step out and witness. Just like they needed Him to overcome problems and trials and persecution, you're going to need Him. We need God the Holy Ghost. Enabling us to drive home the truth, drive home the reality of Jesus Christ in the lives of others and even in our own life. May God help us to not just pick up a few stones. Just, you only need one, the rock, Jesus. But don't leave the sling behind. Because the Holy Spirit of God has to apply those truths. He's the guide. He's the power. He's the one that enables us to effectively represent and share Jesus with a world that's lost without him. He'll change your life. He'll change your family. But the Holy Ghost is essential. Can't do it without him. Father, we come to you. We thank you for all you do for us. Lord, I don't know where everyone is in their life, but I know in my own life there are times, Lord, that I'm trying to function and operate without the power of the Holy Ghost in my life. I have not spent at times the prayer time that I ought to. I've not begged your presence and power. I've not allowed the Holy Spirit to have control at times. I've allowed my flesh to rule me at times. Sometimes I've fallen into the trap of believing that the mechanics of the ministry can bring the kind of success and product that we're looking for. But Lord, the truth is we need not only you, the Lord Jesus Christ, we need the Holy Ghost. We, we pray, Father, that you'd help us. And Lord, there may be someone here today that is without Christ, that has never received and accepted Jesus. They're not going to get saved without the presence of the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, Lord, you're very clear about that. You make it clear to us that the Spirit of God is essential, even in salvation. That we need Him. That He's a, a factor in our salvation. That He draws us, He woos us to you. I pray now you'd bring your convicting presence and it says in John 16, Lord, we pray that you bring your convicting presence in the life of a lost man or lost woman today. And for the believer, may you do the same if we've been off course, if we're depending on any other rock, any other God of this world, anything but you, if we're depending on anything but you, Lord Jesus, may you help bring us back. And Lord, if we're not exhibiting this fruit of the Spirit today, may we be honest and admit that our life is filled with things that don't belong May you help us to confess those sins, forsake them, and allow your Holy Spirit to have control so that we can be effective for you and impact the world as you intended with a sling and a stone. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Every head